0: Good evening. I want to ask you a question. Do you want a mountaintop experience? Do you want to achieve something that you haven't achieved before? Do you want to step into something new? Yeah, of course. We all want it, right? We all want a mountaintop experience. We all want something. We're all longing for something. For some of you, it might be a promotion. For some of you, it might be A-level results. For some of you, it might be a shift In a family situation, in a relationship breakdown, for some of you, it's something you've been longing for years and years and years. The phrase mountaintop experience comes from a reflection on the Bible. If you remember from RE or or Bible school when you were growing up, mountains feature quite prominently throughout Scripture. It's on Mount Ararat where Noah and the ark rests and therefore a new civilization is rolled out. It's on Mount Horeb where God speaks through the burning bush to Moses saying, go and set my people free. It's on Mount Sinai where Moses is given the Ten Commandments, a new rule of life for this tribe known as God's people. A few hundred years later, it's on Mount Carmel where Elijah has a prophet off with another guy who worships another god and they said, my god's bigger than your god and this other guy said, no, my god's bigger than your god. Elijah prayed and the fire came down. It was on that same mountain, Mount Carmel, that Elijah asked God to reveal himself again. And God appeared not this time in the fire, not in the whirlwind, not through smoke or any magic, but through a still small whisper. Rolling forward a couple of hundred years, it was Mount Zion that was the place that David recaptured and it's now the place known as Jerusalem. A few hundred years later when we get into the New Testament and we hear about Jesus Preaching one of his finest sermons on the Mount as he rolls out this way of living a new life, distinctive and captured by the love of God. It's on Mount Tabor, where Jesus is taken up by the very presence of God to be transformed before his disciples. And it's on the Mount of the Skull or Golgotha, where Jesus is pinned to a cross so that you and I no longer have to be, be slaves to our mistakes or the mess that we've got ourselves in, but we can be set free. And then we come to, in Acts 1, one of Jesus' favourite mountains, the Mount of Olives, which up until this point has been a place of prayer, a place of solitude. Yes, sometimes a place of temptation, but here we see the Mount of Olives again. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you pick it up? Or get it out of your pocket, or open up the app, or nudge a friend, steal one, however you want it. And we're going to Acts chapter 1, which is the right-hand side of the Bible, just past the first four Gospels. Leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Who is longing for a mountaintop experience? We all are. Whatever makes you think life will be better if that's your mountaintop experience. When I was 10, my mother, um, who was divorced from my dad, took us on a family holiday, me and my older brother and sister, to a place called Biscaross, which is in France, hence my French accent. Sorry, I've been practicing. Duolingo. And we went to Biscaros, and, um, and we stayed in this campsite. And I remember some distinctive things about this campsite in Biscaros. I remember once um, we were so close to the shore that you could hear the water hitting against the sea. Lovely, eh? Lovely. We could also smell in the afternoon the French restaurants, the garlic, the mussels, the oysters. It was just lovely. But in the morning, a different kind of stench went over the campsite because it was behind a Lidl. And in the morning, that's when they get rid of all their dead meat. All the meat that's gone off slightly. So every morning we'd wake up to be hit in the face by old fish, old mincemeat. All that stuff just rolled into our face. And one time we went on this lake trip to go and paddle in the lake or whatever. And I could see a mile across the lake. I could see this place that looked like heaven. Water slides. You could hear all the kids having a great time, screaming, laughing. And I said to my mom, I said, can we go there? She said, actually, that's a campsite. You've got to pay to go there. And I vowed that day that one day, <laughs> one day, I'm going to go to that campsite. And I'm here to tell you this, ladies and gentlemen. In eight days' time, <laughs> my family, my two little girls, we're not staying at little campsite. We're going back to Biscaros And we're staying at the place with the screaming kids, the joyous noise, and the slides. We all have our mountaintops. We all have them, right? I didn't grow up going to church at all, and my parents divorced when I was two, and my brother was my role model, six years older than me. Some may say ringleader, but um, we, we did all kinds of things that are permissible, not all of them. We used to break out at night through our bedroom window and do things that I won't admit now, um, but we, he, I just loved him so much, I wanted to hang out all the time. But things were a bit chaotic at home. Things were troublesome often. Relationships were tense. There was often arguments and violence and all sorts. And so my brother, when he was um, 16, so I was just 10, he left home and went to live with my mum up in London. And I would see him every Easter or Christmas, and he would tell me tales of this mystical place called London. The lights, the never-ending parties, the place of opportunity and prosperity, London. And so the minute things got a bit chaotic for me and and I tried to get through GCSEs, but actually when I was 14, things got too bad. And so in the end, I came up to London to live with my mum and partly to be with my brother again. Loved him. And actually very quickly, what I did, I I got off the train in Victoria and stopped off at HMV and I thought, I'm going to take London on. I'm going to own London. London doesn't know what's going to hit it when I turn up. And so I went into HMV and I bought five of the top selling garage CDs of the time. Does anyone remember Garage? If you're too old, it's like rock and roll for this generation. If you're too young, it's like mumble rap. <laughs> but Garage, Garage was the thing. And so I rocked up to my home and very quickly realised that the grass was not greener. The thing is about mountaintops, and we've built them ourselves, so little does the promise behind them satisfy. So rarely does the thing beneath the mountain that we've created for ourselves sustain us. And it was just this one opportunity that actually I didn't realise there was a sheer drop at the end of this mountain top. It was chaotic. I got thrown into a school that had a police station in it. My mum worked nights. My brother was into Class A drugs. My sister was anywhere but home. Like things were just chaotic, absolutely chaotic. It says this in Acts that on one occasion when he was eating with them, he gave them this command: "Do not leave Jerusalem. Do not leave Jerusalem." The thing is, what happened two years later is I eventually accepted the invite to come to church by a friend. And I, I remember one Sunday, the youth pastor got up and said, next week, next Sunday, I'm going to give you all an opportunity that if you want to draw a line in the sand and begin life afresh and say, from now on, I want Jesus to be, to be the leader of my life. If you want to accept Jesus into my life, then next Sunday, you're going to have that opportunity. And so what I did is I, I went home, got my Gideon's Bible out that I still had from school and I went up into my bedroom. My brother was having a party underneath so I could feel the thumping of the drum and bass underneath. And the question that I was asking God was why Jesus? Like, I get the esoteric quest for philosophy, the, the kind of desire for a higher being, but why Jesus? And I was, I was skimming through the Bible, just flicking through stories that I recognised. And I felt two things really stood out. That when Jesus speaks... Of our Heavenly Father. He doesn't speak about a judge unless he's talking to the religious, and if you count yourself amongst those, be careful. But when he talks about his Heavenly Father, he talks about a father's embrace. He talks about a shepherd that loves his sheep so much that he'll do anything to bring one home. That he talks about someone who throws on a wedding banquet for all those who are outside of the wedding. That he talks about someone who goes onto the margins of society and brings them home. He doesn't talk about someone who convicts, but someone who loves them for everything they are. And I thought, ah, huh, I might get on with this guy. And also in Jesus, we find a hope. We find a hope that no matter what we've done, or what we're gonna do, or what we're doing right now, that eternity can start today, and we may have life and life in all its fullness through everything Jesus has done for us. And so that Sunday I stepped forward and I, uh, I said, I want to become a Christian. And people put their hands on me as they prayed. And I just felt the sense of the Holy Spirit. And, and for me, it was a peace. It was a peace and a calm that all my anxieties of the bailiffs knocking on doors or where my sister was or my brother was getting all that faded. Didn't know I didn't care, but it wasn't a burden anymore. And although my circumstance didn't change overnight, I knew that from that moment on, I was eternally transformed. Eternally changed. Eternally changed. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. In a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I remember a mountaintop when our first little girl was born. It was a thing that some of you might be familiar with, but it's called sleep. And forgive me if you don't have children, but even if you don't have children, you know sleep is a valuable commodity, right? Who likes a lion? We're a fan of a lion. Who likes nothing more than to lie in bed and watch Hollyoaks Omnibus while eating Doritos? No? No? The thing is, is sleep was such a mountaintop for us. We longed for sleep. And I I don't just mean in like a blasé way. I mean in a way that I would do anything to get this God-given creation, this beautiful thing, just to sleep just to sleep. I tried everything. I counted down from 100 down to zero. I would recite any song I knew. I would recite Bible verses of which I knew, five of them. And then I would, I would just try everything I could. I would rub that place in between the eyes. I would rub her cheeks. I would rub her hands. I would pat her on the back. I would pat her a bit harder. Just trying to get this lovely lady to sleep. 18 months later, we had our first night of full sleep. 18 months, I've about to wait for things, but and so what I did to celebrate is I got uh, a meal for two from Marks and Spencers because I know how to party. Yeah, spag bowl and red wine. It was like the scene at A Lady in the Tramp, <laughs> um, as me and my wife just celebrated with our daughter asleep, and as we did, we we're enjoying this Michael Bublé on in the background, and and Laura locked eyes with me across the dinner table, and she said, "So, should we have another?" I guess you mean glass of wine. Another. Now, I don't know much, but one thing I do know is the definition of insanity is doing the same thing twice and expecting a different result. And I quite have grown accustomed to enjoy this thing called sleep that was a a lost friend. Another. We have two children, so she won that negotiation. Um, The thing is, is the gift that God is promising, the gift that God is promising isn't just any old gift. It's not just any old gift, but the thing is, is the people of God, the people who are following Jesus, wanted the restoration of Israel. It was a serious mountaintop. They weren't just asked for another night's sleep or an exam result. We're talking about the restoration of all things, for the kingdom to be restored. They were waiting for some serious stuff. And yet Jesus' first act, his first command to them is wait. Stop. Do not leave. The thing is, the world today just wants to push us on to the next thing. Push on to the next project. Push on to the next promotion. If that friendship group doesn't work, just move on to the next one. If you, don't, if you flunk that exam, just move on to the next one. Obviously, none of you are going to flunk exams, right? But whatever it is, just move on to the next thing. However, here, Jesus says, stop. Just stop. The thing is, we live our life between two mountains, the past and the future. And when we focus solely on the future, it's like driving a car, but forgetting that we've got scenery to take in, we've got passengers in the car to enjoy it with. But when you're just so focused on the future, it's like driving that car straight on without even taking in the surroundings. But some of us are clinging to the past. It's like driving that same car, but just staring head on into the rearview mirror all the time. And who knows that after a little while, you're going to crash. Here Jesus says, stop. Do not leave Jerusalem. Do not move. Do not move. Because time is both the most valuable and the most perishable thing we have, right? And here I think Jesus is saying to you, what are you doing with your time? Are you just going to spend it to get onto the next mountaintop? Or are you going to enjoy it? Are you going to stop, chill? The top 15 CEOs in the world all carve out time in their daily routine for space to reflect, to meditate, or to prayer. Mark Wahlberg, who knows Mark Wahlberg, the actor? Yeah, even him at the beginning of every day starts 10 minutes in prayer. And if he's going left out of his house, he'll stop off at the church for another 10 minutes. Like even Mark Wahlberg, he's got a busy schedule, I'm sure. Stop. Do not leave. But we're not talking about laziness. We're not talking about 16 episodes of The Wire with a bag of Doritos. We're talking about an intention. There's a gift, there's a promise attached. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. The thing is, waiting is so frustrating, right? It can be lonely, it can be confusing, it can be disabling. It's sometimes really tough to wait. Ten years ago, almost. Um, my wife and I did marriage prep in this very building when we were engaged. And I remember the one night when I finally learned that I'm not selfish. I'm not greedy. I'm not grabby. It's just simply love lang- my love language is gift. So if you want to show me you love me, prove it. <laughs> Buy me stuff. It's pretty simple. The thing is, is that um, then when we had our first little girl, Jemima, I remember when we first got the scan and they said everything's okay medically, but then the, the midwife dropped some of the worst news ever and said the due date is the 28th of May. Now I did some very quick calculations and my birthday on the 27th of May. So what this midwife has just delivered is that I'm no longer ever going to have a birthday ever again. And I was not okay with that. I'm not going to spend my birthday trolling around soft plays, working out birthday parties for kids. That's not a birthday. Thankfully, because the Lord is so good, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger rich in love. She was two weeks late. <laughs> My wife had exactly the same feeling at the time. The thing is, is the gift that God, that Jesus here promises isn't any gift. It's not any present. It's not anything just to be, just to be given or thrown away. But it's his very presence. His very presence. The same spirit that was in Jesus that enabled him to do all that he did and so much more. The same Jesus that when we work together, we're able to go to places that no other person's ever gone before. We're able to reach out to people that no one's ever reached out to before. We're able to go beyond places and to places that no one has ever gone before. That same spirit of Jesus. The thing is, some of you, because I've had coffee with you, some of you guys, I've had lunch with you guys, you're waiting for something serious. You're waiting for a breakthrough. You're waiting for a healing. You're waiting for some resolution, something serious. And here I think the good news is that Jesus wants to gift you with something that's going to sustain you. It's going to support you. It's going to give you courage. It's going to give you something that, um, that is far greater than any answer we could ever ask for. His own presence. The greatest gift In a world that says you're the Lord of your own life, just do what you want. Take the reins, take control. It's in the waiting that we give up control. We say, actually, I'm not the Lord of my own life. I can't do this thing on my own. Lord, will you be the rudder of my ship and the wind in my sails? I can't do this thing alone. Wait, wait. But again, it's not just the waiting, like waiting for a bus that doesn't come. But there's a stop, there's a wait, and then there's a go. And the Bible says this, Acts 1 verse 8, it says, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I think Jesus tonight wants us to know that when we follow him, we don't have to spend our time spouting esoteric wisdom, or philosophies, or Clinton card theology, or bumper stickers that we've seen. But we simply have to be witnesses. And all a witness does in a court of law is say what they see and say what they know. So one thing I love about Alpha is in the groups, that's all you simply have to do. There's no graduating. There's no, you can only go if you have a certain amount of knowledge. It's just say what you see and say what you know. And when the Holy Spirit comes on these people that are willing to say what they see and say what they know, where do they get sent to? Jerusalem, the place of Jesus' execution. Judea. Is the place that Jesus rejected. Samaria, the place that represented any racial or cultural separation. And to the ends of the earth, were a place in the first century that went beyond any realm of knowledge. It's when we're filled with the Holy Spirit that we are sent to be witnesses, to go with a courage that means we can step beyond fear of death itself beyond fear of rejection beyond fear of rate of stepping boundaries stepping cultural boundaries beyond fear of even knowledge itself when we go we go with the spirit of god life is spent in the valley between two mountains and yet here the spirit comes down which means no longer do we have to strive up mountains no longer do we have to get the climbing gear no longer do we have to be altitude trained But the Spirit comes down and meets us right in the middle of that valley. So whatever you've come with this evening, whatever you've brought, whatever baggage you've got or burden you're bearing, Jesus wants to meet you right in the midst of that valley, right in that brokenness, right in the very midst of that situation that you want to shift. And it's in that place that you can be a witness. We can be sent to be a witness to other broken places. So the valley becomes a place of meeting with God and it becomes our mission field. No longer is it about striving after mountains, but God will meet us in the valley. A few years ago, a friend of mine on social media posted that he was going to Calais um, uh, the next day to go to the refugee camp that had just started. And at this point, it hadn't been um, televised much, hadn't been on our news much. He said, does anyone want to go? And because I'm this kind of person, I said, yeah, I'll come. So the next day we were in Calais. And what we did, we spent time just going around this camp, meeting faith leaders that are around there, meeting people who had been traveling for years and years and years. And I met this one lad called David, who was 16 years old. And David was from Iran, and he was a Christian, and he had started his journey nine years prior on foot. And we were chatting about all sorts, chatting about football, his favorite team was Man United, poor choice in my my opinion, but it's all right. Well, One fan. Proves a point, um, but David said this one thing to me. I, I, we were chatting about Jesus, and he said, "The thing is, in the West, that we try and become godlike by acquiring stuff, by getting a promotion, by getting a, a thing, by getting a car, by getting stuff, and then we kind of think we're like little gods." And he said to me, he spoke in an American accent as well, which is amazing because he'd learned everything through music. And he said to me, "The thing is." As I became like my God, the minute I started this journey, suddenly in this valley, in this place where there was no sanitation, where everyone was living in makeshift tents, I suddenly felt like I was meeting with Jesus. And as he said that, I was like, you're totally right, because your God Jesus was homeless, right? Your God Jesus was a traveler who wandered around telling the good news, right? Your Jesus was someone who went around and as he travelled, he brought good news wherever he went. And this guy, David, I went over to just try and get to know stuff and he was ministering through me. He was impacting me in such a big way. Because it's in the valleys now that the Spirit meets us. It's in the valleys where we can meet with God. It's in those valleys. Acts one eleven says this, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? Looking up that mountains. Why do you stand here doing that stuff? this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Now, historically, people have thought this is kind of a, an end times, Arnold Schwarzenegger movie kind of Bible passage. But I've got a suspicion that what he's actually talking about is Pentecost, which comes next week. That actually the Holy Spirit isn't some weird mystic thing belonging to Christians. It's not some weird mysticism that's kind of floating around ethereally in the sky. But it's the presence of the same Jesus who eats with tax collectors and sinners, who washes the feet of his disciples, who hangs out with those on the margins of society. It's that spirit of that same Jesus that's going to meet with us. And it's going to meet with you, it's going to meet with me tonight as he meets us in the valley. A couple of weeks ago, I was going through a valley moment and there was a a situation in my family that I just couldn't turn around, I couldn't see a solution for. And I wanted to get angry. And so I asked God, as some of us might do, especially if you're not as holy as, as you might want to think. But I just I just said to God, when is your grace for this situation going to run out? Because I want your grace to run out so I can get angry legitimately. How many of us want to do that? Okay, some of you are honest. I just wanted an excuse. And I felt God say to me this as I prayed in the, in the 24-7 prayer room just over there. I felt God say that my grace for you will be up when I'm done. My mercy will be up when I'm done. My justice will be up when I'm done. My love for you will be up when I'm done. And however you're feeling, whatever you're going through, whatever valley you're in right now, I am not done yet. And I wonder if tonight you're carrying something. You've brought something with you tonight and you're just longing for that mountaintop experience. And I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is going to meet you tonight in the valley because he is not done with you yet. He is not finished with you yet. His grace is sufficient for you because his power is made perfect in our weakness. Shall we stand and pray Does the band come up?